0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Growth Tribe Podcast, where we're all about growing ourselves to create lives we effing love on our terms. I'm Ellen, and I'm a former biomedical researcher turned coach who fell in love with personal growth when it empowered me to transform my health, Quit my PhD, travel the world, and start my own business. But don't get me wrong, I'm still figuring my shit out too, and I'm so pumped to share what I'm learning along the way. We've got amazing interviews, big stories, tips, tricks, and no bullshit action steps that we can all learn from. So, with that, welcome to this episode of The Growth Tribe. Hey, friends, and welcome back to the Growth Tribe podcast. Today's episode, oh my gosh, like I don't think I realized when I asked Brooke to come on this episode, A, how much of a badass human she is, but B, just how many insights she would have that would so directly apply to my life and to the lives of so many of us. In this episode, we talk a lot about mental health. And mental health has been a common theme of my past year and a half, but so much of what she talked about was about things that I've been experiencing since high school. You guys, we talk about letting go of some of the labels and identifiers and how so often over-identifying with things like our job titles our majors in college, you know, some of the hobbies and the sports that we participated in and some of the labels from that. We talked about how all of these things can really become places where we over-identify, box ourselves in, and over-identify ourselves, over-label ourselves. Oh my God, it hit me so hard, but it didn't even stop there. We talk about something that, God, this has to be one of the most profound insights that has come from any interview I have done on this podcast so far, and we've done a fair number of interviews, guys. I feel like we're pushing, I don't know, maybe 20 interviews, which isn't a ton compared to like the Jenna Kutcher's of the world. But in all of the interviews we've done, I don't think we've made an insight quite like we have in this one around how we compare our pain to those of other people, how so often when we have to close a chapter of our lives, whether it's saying go to a relationship, you know, uh, Uh, as maybe a sport we can't participate in anymore. And this is something that we explicitly talk about. You know, letting go of our first home or our first apartment, how sometimes we don't properly grieve closing some of those chapters of our lives and how important it is to do so and to not feel guilt about comparing those pains to the pains of other people, the people who gone through serious trauma or lost a loved one. How it's so important to realize that our pain and our traumas are ours and no one else's and our process for dealing with those are ours and no one else's. Oh my God, hugely profound insight. We talk about compassion. We talk about paying attention to the signs in life. We talk a little bit about physical Basically, Brooks coming back on here because we didn't even scratch the surface of all of the amazing things that this incredible woman has to offer. I'm so excited to get into it with you. Before we do, though, I want to mention one more thing. If you are listening to this podcast episode as it's coming out, I have a little surprise for you. I've been mentioning my Growth Tribe Academy, and holy shit, you guys, so pumped for this. And guess what? It starts today. If you are listening to this as this podcast episode is coming out, we are live with the Growth Tribe Academy as of today. And I would love for you to get in on this. If you've been vibing with this podcast, you are the exact type of person that I created the Growth Tribe Academy for because you're someone who is intentional about their personal growth, who wants to level up their lives. And you've been doing so listening to this podcast and absorbing All of this amazing information from all of these people that have been coming on and allowing me to interview them. You are the type of person that I created this community for, and I would love nothing more for you to be a part of it. It's going to include monthly brand spanking new video content, audio content, downloadable content, as well as a community where you can not only learn from, be supported by, be held accountable to the commitments that you're making to yourself by the community, but also by me, your coach. You're going to have access to monthly live video training with me where I can answer your questions. I can help you work through some of your roadblocks, your obstacles, the places in which you're struggling, and help you apply this content directly to your life. You're also going to have a say in how this grows and evolves over time. I created this for you guys, for my tribe, for my people that are as obsessed with personal growth as I am. And I want you to have a say in what we cover, what we talk about, and how this grows and evolves over time. You get all of this for a very, very small monthly fee, and you get access to so many incredible bonuses. So if this sounds like something you want to get in on, not only did this open today, but Bonus, I am extending the pre-sale prices for another day. So if you are listening to this as this podcast is coming out, head on over to CoachEllen.com growth dash tribe. Once again, CoachEllen.com growth dash tribe and get in on this. I would love nothing more to see you in this membership site. Oh, I am so unbelievably pumped. But with that, let's get into today's podcast episode with the amazing, unbelievable powerhouse Brooke Seam. Ellen here, and you're listening to The Growth Tribe. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to The Growth Tribe podcast. I am here with Brooke Seam. She is a professional chef, Food Network Chopped champ, which is super legit sounding, and an XPT certified coach. Brooke, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, you have a very diverse resume, and I'm really excited to see
1: how all of this kind of laces together. So can you tell us a little bit about your background to get started? Sure. Um, you know, I'm excited to see how it all ties together, too. I feel like it's <laughs> only recently started to tie together. Um, So, uh, you know, mostly my, my professional career has mostly been in the food and wine industry. I was, went to regular undergrad at Middlebury college and then didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. But the only thing I really loved was food. So I went to culinary school in 2008 and then the economy crashed. And so I was kind of just set on a path in the food industry because there were no other jobs. So I worked in kitchens for a while in New York. I made wine in the North Fork. I ultimately came back to New York and started my bakery, which was called Prohibition Bakery, and we made alcoholic cupcakes. I literally baked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting idea. It was a good idea. It was at the kind of peak cupcake, but not quite saturation cupcake. Mm-hmm. Uh, time in the world and you know once we added alcohol to it it got a little bit more interesting so
0: (laughs) I was gonna say I want one right now
1: (laughs) it's 5 30 here so that's allowed it's 5 (laughs) 30 it's 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 11 o'clock where I'm at so you know um I guess either way still (laughs) it's still food right I mean it could be just like a brunch Mm. cupcake right oh we did that we actually did one called the basic bitch which was a brunch cupcake made with uh, coffee liqueur bacon maple and oatmeal I want one of these so badly. I'm sorry. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so that was 2011. And I, you know, I had a business partner and we opened up a store in New York City and, you know, by all accounts had a successful business in that we operated in the black and didn't have any debt. But at the same time, you know, I brought home like an average of something like $500 a month for five years. So that wasn't sustainable. And uh, in the meantime, I was Got really into CrossFit and fitness. I started working part time um, for a fitness company simply because, you know, as much as I wanted to become a very very rich human through my business, it didn't happen. When you're selling cupcakes for two dollars in New York City, so I had to supplement uh, supplement my work. But that actually turned out to be really great because not only did I kind of have the ability to work out a lot, which Therefore, counteracted all the cupcakes I had to eat for my job. Um, it, yeah, it also gave me a mental break from the business. It was a completely different business that I was learning about. It was still something that I was really interested in. So I was able to kind of, you know, give both aspects of my brain the time that they needed and cultivate both sides. So it turned out to be a really beneficial thing for me. Um, especially now because I've transitioned into working more in the mental health and wellness sphere. Because when I was 30 years old, uh, I had gotten an opportunity to travel on remote year. And when that opportunity came up, I kind of suddenly had the realization that I had been on antidepressants and anxiety drugs for literally half of my life and my entire adult life. I was put on them when I was 15, right after my father suddenly passed away. And My entire existence at that point had been lived and experienced through the lens of antidepressants, which I know now had a huge impact on the way I looked at the world, the way I felt about the world, and even the the physiological side of my body. And so I needed to get off the drugs in order to go on a remote year, mostly because I didn't necessarily trust that I would be able to get my prescriptions abroad. Mm-hmm. And that whole journey ultimately changed my entire life because getting off of antidepressants was one of the hardest and most awful experiences I've ever had. And that way worse than even the grief that occurred from losing my father It was just absolutely terrible. And it just rerouted my entire life because now um, I really want to work with people who have been in similar situations as me or people who are looking to manage their anxiety and depression, either without drugs, or maybe they're looking for something to assist the drugs. And so I have moved into that field entirely. I sold my business last year and my, my bakery and I've started a new business now um, as a XPT coach and breathwork coach. So here we are. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. That's a heck of a story. And I, it's, I always love how, how life experience really, really informs so many people and the path that they end up on, particularly for people who are entrepreneurs. Like I struggled in my time in graduate school with my mental health, with my physical health, with just kind of feeling like I could actually be passionate about the direction my life was going. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately is informing the the path that I'm on. And I think that's so interesting that that's often a, a common thread for so many people, that that life experience really helped direct them down a particular path. But I'm curious in your story, so you mentioned that, you know, transitioning off antidepressants was complicated and and challenging. Mm. So what did you kind of do to help manage that transition?
1: Well, I mean, to call it a transition, you know, feels a bit generous in my mind because in reality, the process was, uh, I mean, the physical responses for me lasted over a year. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, I was kind of, you know, we all change in a year. So there's all the changes that happen in a year in addition to the fact that by the time I came out, um, you know, in the middle when I was 31, I felt like an entirely different human from start to finish than I did when I first started getting off the drugs when I was 30. And it like, the best way I can describe it was feeling like I went through a second puberty. I mean, everything changed. My The, the way my body was shaped changed. Um, my taste, my actual taste buds changed the kind of music I like to listen to changed, my vision changed, my hearing changed, uh, you know, the clothes I wore changed because suddenly they felt different on my body because first my skin became very sensitive. So this whole, the year that I was really kind of um, getting to know myself again after the drugs, it wasn't just kind of trying to find a new normal because I had no idea what that normal was, the only normal I was, familiar with was the one when I was 14, before I was put on the drugs. And that's a terrible frame of reference when you're 31, you know, yeah. You <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing is the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, for me, it was just this, you know, huge experience of, of learning who I was now and what my, what my body and my mind wanted to be as opposed to what I thought it was when I was living in New York. And I happened to be traveling with Remote Year at the time, so I was already in a situation where my environment was constantly changing, and I was never around the same language. And even though I became close to these groups of strangers I was traveling with, like you know, they still really weren't my true support system. And yet they were seeing me in an incredibly vulnerable time. Mm-hmm. So it was just, I mean. You know, I'm not sure what your swear policy is here, but the best way oh, I can describe it an was
0: explicit a- rating. Go for it.
1: All right, it was a clusterfuck. <laughs> I mean, there's pretty much no other way to describe it as just mm-hmm. like absolute mess. <laughs> but um, while I was so I was traveling, and you know, I obviously needed some outside support um, in order to help me through this. And so, you know, I had had you know long, long experiences over the years with uh, traditional psychiatrists traditional psychiatry and psychologist and you know kind of found that it wasn't quite what I was looking for, especially um given that I had been traveling, you know, I couldn't physically go into the same psychologist's office every week. So I needed something that was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working with um someone who a a spiritual counselor named Edward, who used a technique based in kind of compassion therapy and meditation that actually is done over the phone. And I would spend, you know, my sessions on the phone with him while I was traveling, and we would be using self-directed compassion in order to kind of pull out all the wounded parts of me that were, you know, going through a very hard time while I was off drugs, but also all the things I had just straight up ignored, you know, when I was fifteen, all the grief, all the all the sadness, all the trauma that had never been dealt with. We we dealt with that through um, a form of compassion therapy that isn't isn't quite known at this point. I've seen some whispers of it in, in the community where it's becoming a little bit more well-known. Mm-hmm. But uh, this this felt pretty, pretty new at the time. But I found it to be hugely helpful. And really the only thing that actually helped me kind of transition into this new person and feel like I wasn't just a diagnosis and that I wasn't crazy and that I wasn't this thing that a doctor had determined I was. Mm-hmm. I feel like
0: that kind of like gets into like identity a little bit, which mm-hmm. is a I question. Like, I have it's amazing the places identity can show up in our lives. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like some way people, you know, maybe quote unquote over identify with their career labels, or they label mm-hmm. with, or they over identify with you know maybe the stigmas that are associated with whatever you know mental health things they struggle with like there's a gal in our group who she struggles with anxiety and it's it's interesting how some of these struggles can or some of these identifications can occur and how and ultimately how we kind of shift out of them you know I was in when I was in graduate school I was doing science and when I chose to leave graduate school I left science and that was all I'd ever known for 10 years and it's like it's interesting because that was my identifier and mm-hmm. I'm trying to shift into this new identity. So when you make these kind of switches from being on antidepressants to not being on antidepressants, identifying yourself by your, you know, whatever this doctor diagnosed you as to not, like how do you kind of manage some of those identity shifts and then some of the identity shifts you've made
1: even in your career? You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because the concept of identity for me has been a, a huge kind of sticking point you know, throughout the majority of my life, um, I was a very serious ballet dancer growing up, and I broke both of my feet when I was 18, which kind of signaled the end of my career. And so I went mm-hmm. into college not having any idea w- of who I was or what I was beyond the fact that I was a ballet dancer, because that's all I had ever done. And that's all I kind of, you know, that was the thing that people described me as if it was, you know, this is Brooke, she's a dancer. Mm-hmm. And so that was really what I had identified with. And then as soon as it went away with the injury, most of my college career was kind of spent trying to figure out, okay, where is, okay, where am I if I'm not that? Because I mm-hmm. couldn't find a major. I couldn't find a core group of friends. I, I couldn't find my place. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's, that missed, that, that miss sense of identity really went well into my twenties. And, you know, I never really truly felt it with my work as a cook. It just, I kind of knew that that wasn't quite who I was. I was still very much held on to the ballet side of me, which really only kind of dissipated once I found CrossFit because it was something else that I was good at and something else physically, physical, and that meant a lot to me at the time. Um, But I was also, you know, still working at my business. And then I became known as Brooke, the co-founder and co-owner of Prohibition Bakery. And then, you know, as that relationship and that business got more and more difficult, I actually didn't want to be identified with it and I couldn't really shed that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then coming off of antidepressants, I had that really existential crisis. Okay. Like I I don't even know what I like to eat anymore because everything tastes different. You know, what, what do I do? Who, Who is this person in this body? And so the past two years for me have just been a huge exploration of that. But what I think is kind of most interesting about that. And when I, you know, can kind of take a step back and look at other people and you know it's very easy to see other people's blind spots. It's so difficult to see our own. But mm-hmm. we all have people in our lives who seem to have identified with one particular thing. I think you just don't quite realize it in the moment when that's happening. And it's not until that thing is either challenged or taken away from you that you suddenly realize how wrapped up you are in it. And that's kind of that's kind of the challenge of over identification, right? Is mm-hmm. is is learning to look at your thoughts in literally the words you say and watch how that affects your life. Because if, you know, you're the type of person who can't start a sentence without, you know, well, I have X, Y, Z, and therefore this is why my life is the way it is, then that's, you know, classic over-identification. And maybe it's time to look at those thought patterns and say like, okay, if, if, what does what does the world look like if I, if I don't, Start every thought with that, with that statement. You know that because mm-hmm. I am this, my world is that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so,
0: so true. And I feel like a lot of that too. Like you mentioned, like you've got to a look at your thought patterns. Realize, I, I always. It's funny doing these podcast interviews because I feel like my clients listen to them and just kind of laugh because I say some of these things to them <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And that, one of them is that awareness is step one, and until you mm-hmm. listen to your, what you're saying to yourself and and listen to to so the words that you're using, and even sometimes it's even not words. Sometimes you have to be just awareness of the thoughts that are running through your head. Mm-hmm. Like that's step one to realizing that you're really over-identifying with some aspect of your life. And then like, at least for me, when I found myself trying to, because I was a massively and over-identified with my career labels and, you know,
1: mm-hmm. when it wasn't
0: my career label, it was, you know, my major when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, when you were talking about dancing, I was just like, this was me when I was playing soccer, when I was younger, I blew my Mm -hmm. knees out. I had to stop playing soccer. Um, Mm -hmm. so like, as we, so noticing that we are identifying ourselves in these ways is step one. And then kind of, I, I feel like there's almost like a little resistance when you, when you're really over identify with something and then you realize you have to kind of make that change away from it when that thing has been taken away from you, whether it's you know, dancing for you or soccer for me, or the decision that you've made to change careers, whatever, when you make that pivot away, did you find that you kind of had some resistance, even just within yourself to
1: shedding that label? Oh, 100%. And I mean, I think it makes total sense for on on a lot of different levels. Like when I was 18, (laughs) when I was 18, and I broke both my feet, I went to college and tried to keep, you know, I rehabbed my feet, but then I tried to keep dancing, you know, I would Mm -hmm. go give myself a class, or I would take whatever classes were available. And I just, I just pushed that and pushed it and tried to stay in that familiarity as long as I could. And the only thing it did was make me feel worse about myself because my body couldn't move the same way it did. I wasn't in the same I wasn't in the same environment. I mean even I was kind of a late bloomer so I actually like I grew a little bit, my body changed a little bit even in college. Everything about it, it was just like a grand flashing sign from the universe saying this is not who you are. And yet I held on to it because it was the only thing I knew. So <laughs> But then so you know wanting to stay in the familiarity obviously makes sense people don't like the unknown they don't like change but mm. beyond that i felt like there was this whole this whole process i had to work through that literally took years of kind of really being frustrated with myself for getting as far down the rabbit hole with this as i was like once i realized that i was over identifying with it and that i had created my whole identity around this thing I was then left with this incredible guilt because I had done that and I felt crappy about it now. Mm-hmm. And so there was that kind of other layer that was like, all right, well, I was beating myself up in addition in addition to the guilt and then in addition to the fact that my, you know, my life was just different and then on top of that, I didn't appropriately grieve that part of my life either. It mm-hmm. took me years to realize that I actually needed to grieve my ballet career before I could find something else. Instead, I just tried to hold on to it and continue to identify it and like Keep it alive on life support, if you will. But that's that was the exact wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Which you know you only use for you only learn through time and maturity and all those lovely little life lessons. Mm-hmm. I, I love that.
0: Like I really want to like repeat that for a second because I've never <laughs> thought about it that way. Like grieving mm-hmm. even something as simple as like like I always say soccer was my first love. Like yeah. soccer was. I I am so unbelievably passionate about soccer as a sport and as an activity and i felt so strong and empowered and like there were a lot of reasons why like in hindsight why i realized that i identified myself so profoundly with that as a label and you know i don't i don't know that i ever thought about that as as kind of grieving having to let that go cuz i had to stop 5 years ago i got to the point where I couldn't play anymore because I would literally hurt myself every single time I tried mm-hmm. to play. I'd hyperextend my knee. I would do, you know, I'd, I'd tweak something. I'd pull a hamstring. Like I could not play anymore without hurting myself. And it became a question of, do you want to potentially physically incapacitate yourself for the rest of your life because you won't give this up now and like not have the ability to go hiking or, you know, you know way in the future play with your grandkids because you screwed up your knees in your twenties because you wouldn't stop playing soccer Mm -hmm. And I had to ask myself these, these like kind of exaggerated questions, (laughs) kind of what it got to, because I didn't want to let it go. It was such a part of me. And I did grieve it for the first, you know, however many years. And I've tried to play multiple times this year while I'm on remote year, you know, the world sport and I want to play it. Yeah. And I've had to kind of, I still grieve it. I feel like, Mm -hmm. and I never really thought of it that way.
1: I really believe that our entire lives are effectively an exercise in grief and that you know having 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 lost my father, you know, in a sudden and tragic way when I was very young and then never really getting the opportunity to properly grieve him in my timeline and the way I wanted to do it. I mean, we had the funeral and we had all the things and that was, you know, the few weeks right after and i wasn't I was still in shock, which I didn't know at the time at the time I felt fine to be perfectly honest, I just mm-hmm. kind of remember I knew what had happened, I understood it, I had a good support system around me, but it wasn't I wasn't just emotionally overwhelmed by what had happened, and you know that it, that is shock and that's trauma but at the time, I just kind of was like okay well this is this I guess this is the way I'm handling it, and mm-hmm. the fact that I had so little reaction was actually prompted um my family to send me into therapy and ultimately put me on drugs because they felt that I wasn't quote unquote grieving properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I don't really know what that means now. I don't know how long it would have taken for kind of the emotional responses to really come out. I, I just, I don't quite know. But what I do know is that 15 years later when, you know, I no longer had the drugs in my system and I was suddenly forced to deal with all the grief and trauma that I experienced as a teenager I started realizing that, like, oh, you know, shit. Like this, this is grief. This is what I'm feeling. And I was able to look back and say, I felt this about all these other things in my life um, that weren't necessarily people. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, I suddenly put put the puzzle together and said, okay, that all of these times when there has been change, you know, it's not that the change itself was hard for me. It was the fact that. The change very often didn't allow me to grieve what had just happened and what was. So when I moved from one job to another or from one relationship to another or whatever it was, the transition would happen and we're always so focused on what's coming next and what's forward that I would kind of just stuff down all the emotions associated with the part of my life that had just ended and never really got a chance to honor it. And the next thing you know, I'm having a complete meltdown over something that seems completely innocuous, Mm -hmm. when in reality, you know, it was because I never got a chance to really honor the thing that had just happened in my life. And now that I realize that this is something that, at least for me, is very important. I mean, I'm an emotional person anyway, but Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that this is happening for all of us and that, you know, it's just not really considered acceptable to grieve things like losing an apartment that you lived in for five years or moving Uh and leaving your life or whatever it was, you know, that that's kind of where a lot of this deep trauma comes from that lives in us and where a lot of this unhappiness comes from and these depressions and these mental illnesses that are just kind of looking for a way to get out. You know, Uh when people say they don't know why they're depressed, well, my instinct is to ask them like, what? What loose ends are there? What haven't you really looked back on and said, like, I haven't properly grieved this. I haven't properly honored this. I haven't let this part Mm -hmm. of my life truly close so I can open my heart to what's happening now. Mm -hmm. Like, did you ever catch yourself cuz i even find myself
0: doing it like i feel like comparison is so inherent in our culture and i find myself mm-hmm. you know talking about grieving my soccer career being like she lost a parent ellen like what are you comparing <laughs> that to that like so but you seem like you you do like consider these all to be in the same realm like maybe to like varying degrees but they're all grief on some level so did how did you kind of or did you ever find yourself feeling guilt
1: about comparing <laughs> These things and how did you ultimately deal with that guilt? um Well, let's see. I mean, I have, to, I have two answers. To that and the first one is just a little story that happened a few weeks ago. So I left. Um, I officially like left New York City in October of 2017, but I still had an apartment there. Um, my dog, who I had rehomed with a very close friend of mine, an old lady who lived in my building. You know, she still lived there. Um, And, you know, but it had been, like, basically a year since I had physically lived in New York. And then, you know, my mom, we had owned this apartment, and my mom called me one day because it was on the market, and we had had some issues with it. We had had some issues selling it, and so finally it got sold, and then, you know, then a couple months later, went into escrow, and the process takes forever. But eventually, like, it was no longer a thing. Like, I could not go back there and get the keys if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of down, and I was... You know, I'm a freelancer and I'm a writer, so I kind of, I'm used to kind of being down because a pitch got rejected or my book is not getting, you know, agent responses or whatever it is. I just was kind of not sure why I was down, and my boyfriend was like, you know, kind of not sure why I was down either. And then I got in the bathtub and I just started sobbing because all of a sudden I realized that like my last connection to New York, my entire life, I'd spent eight years there. My, I was there from when I was 22 to 30 like that was suddenly gone. And then I always, it just kind of occurred to me all of a sudden that I live in Canada now and I have a living boyfriend. And I was just, it's like, it honestly, none of this had ever occurred to me, even though it had been here. And so (laughs) I had this big, (laughs) I had this big, like sobbing little breakdown in the bathtub by myself and where I just realized all this grief was coming out about that part of my life. And as soon as I kind of cried it out, I felt a lot better. And as soon as I realized, oh, okay, like, that was just a big part of my life that had just closed. Like, yeah, that's a huge change. Of course there's some grief there. I was able to forgive myself a little bit and move on. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so I personally, I don't feel guilt over that. I kind of just see it all as being connected together. Mm -hmm. Like, because as I'm, you know, in the bathtub, ugly crying over my apartment in New York, (laughs) my father also pops into my head and my grandmother and I had, you know I had an ex who passed away, and I noticed that they all like kind of come back, and it's like it's the onion thing, right? Like you think mm-hmm. you've got one layer of grief off and the next thing you know, like all of and these the wonderful things yep. <laughs> yeah, all of these wonderful things and people that you've lost come back up, and it's just kind of more of that that needs to get out because it's all it's all kind of constantly processing, so, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely no. I think that <laughs> I think that pain should never be compared and that it's really easy to say like, oh, I, you know, you know, I'm an able-bodied person and I live in North America and I, you know, am able to go buy a five dollar coffee and not worry about it. Why, you know, I can't I shouldn't have any problems compared to a person who doesn't have any of those things. But the reality is that we are all here with our own set of traumas and our own set of pain and we are in the world we're in and to stuff your own pain because it seems you think it's worse than or not as relevant as somebody else's is is only going to hurt you in the long run because you don't know what they're going through. They've got their own story, their own path. You've got Mm -hmm. yours. So you've got to honor those little things even if they feel completely ridiculous because Mm -hmm. once you get them out, they go away, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise you have people who are 80 and they're just like, you know, man, I wish I had done that thing that I didn't do when I was 20 and I still regret it, you know, even though it's, it's that little thing that didn't seem like a big deal or mm-hmm. whatnot. so so my like my that. short answer is no. grieve your soccer soccer career or the lack thereof
0: (laughs) no and I think simultaneous to that too it's like don't compare your pain to somebody else's And I think you know I'm I totally resonate when you say you were sobbing in the bathtub because that's totally what I would do I'm also a very emotional person and I feel like there might be people who are listening who are thinking you know I'm not an emotional person I don't process pain and grief like Mm -hmm. that like don't even compare that like like, (laughs) yeah However you process pain, however you process grief, that's your process. So don't compare it to ours and sobbing in the bathtub. So I think it's like, it's both, it's both ways. Like don't compare your pain and don't compare how you process pain because we all are doing things differently and experiencing things differently. And all of those things are valid.
1: Mm -hmm. But that said, I would say if that you are a person who maybe is not as hard on, hard on your sleeve as you and I are, Mm -hmm. that There's there should still be a moment I think when you step back and you say like okay what are the things I have lost like how are the things I've lost in my life affecting the decisions and the thought process that I'm making now because just because you're not crying in your bathtub doesn't mean that you don't have some beliefs and limitations and blind spots around these things that are negatively affecting your current life Mm -hmm. so just because you're not a crier like that doesn't necessarily mean that. Some of these things shouldn't be looked at, and I think even just the exercise of looking at it can be helpful for a lot of people mm-hmm. awesome yeah that's that's super
0: like that's just empowering to know those kind of things about yourself and know like what those negative experiences are. I always find that every time like i uh this is another like a random thing which has a point, I swear um, <laughs> <laughs> but like I was thinking about it i I love to sing, I'm very musical like i I thoroughly enjoy. At singing for people, whatever. It's just something that I like to do. Um, but I remember I had a moment in, well, actually this year we do a lot of, we have kind of a, a community voice event where it's essentially like a monthly open mic night where people can, you know, they can put on a skit, they can read poetry, they can sing, they can do whatever they can dance. It's just an opportunity to kind of share whatever creative thing you want to share. And I've really enjoyed that. I've gotten to sing at that this month, but each time I get so nervous, which I've never used to have stage fright, especially when I'm around friends and especially when I know that nobody's going to like try to like, you know, judge me or go all like Simon Cowell on me or anything like that. <laughs> but like, I still get nervous. And I had a moment earlier this year where I realized that like, there's a moment in college that I had somebody, it was like one of those kind of shitty things where was somebody that I thought was my friend and I heard her, she was my neighbor in my dorm and I heard her talking to somebody else, basically throwing me under the bus for the fact that I enjoyed singing. And that just means that I like the spotlight and I'm just high on myself and like kind of adding all of these labels to the fact that I would mm-hmm. sing in my room and that people could hear me. And I realized that was something I'd never processed and I mm-hmm. kind of shoved it down. And, that's, and I feel like even stuff like that is relevant. You know, I, I realized that 100 oh, that I had that I didn't let myself process. I just tried to brush it off as if it was a, well, I don't give a shit about her opinion, so I'm just going to go on with my life. And yeah, there was some of that, but that also hurt on some level and made me realize that people do associate, like add labels to you, even when they're not applicable. Like you Mm -hmm. still get those things from these different experiences. So yeah, I thought that just kind of made me think of that, of, of just difficult moments that we don't process And realizing after the fact, oh, this was a thing that I dealt with, and even letting yourself process it, even if it's been, you know, 10 years since that happened, which it has been.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's I mean, and those those kind of little things are, you know, I think they so subconsciously help dictate everything, everything else you do. I mean, like I would be curious to know about whether or not there's things you haven't done because you would then be put in the spotlight and maybe Maybe you consciously backed away from it or maybe it was kind of just like, oh, maybe not now, it's not the right time. Mm-hmm. Whereas had that not happened, perhaps you would have been like, Hell yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, who knows how those little things can kind of change 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 your life and, and your mm-hmm. world. So it's important. I think those if it sticks in your head, I, I think it's important. Um Yes. I you know, for example, like right now I'm kind of because I talk about mental health and I talk about getting off drugs, I get I get a decent amount of people who say things like Drug saved my life like Who the hell are you or you know and i mm-hmm. and i it, it really kind of it gives me pause a lot because the last thing I want to do is make anybody and you know f- feel bad about their own decisions. I don't want to paint broad strokes for or against drugs. I just want to tell my story and mm-hmm. you know encourage people to think holistically and long term about things and you know but I've, I've found, I, I recently found I'd been trying to write about it and get some pieces published and I just kind of wasn't really getting anywhere. And I realized it was just because I was so scared of being bombarded with people who disagreed with me and who were, you know, hurt by what I said. Mm-hmm. And when I, you know, I kind of had to think back about where that started, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily this particular scenario. It's, a time when I did say something that really hurt someone and it totally Mm -hmm. changed our entire relationship. And yet that has completely affected my, my literal career right now, Mm -hmm. even though the, the, the seed of it is minor. Mm -hmm. That was a five minute interaction a very long time ago kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I, I I do think those little moments of trauma are incredibly important. And that's why I have loved the compassion work I've done so much because it allows Mm -hmm. me to be able to sit and talk to that person who was me a long time ago and say, I'm so sorry you said the wrong thing and I'm mm-hmm. so sorry there was unintended consequences. And by going through that process of um, self-compassion, I find that it kind of heals the, the hurt and the way it's showing up in my life right now. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's literally so much I like just from that statement that I want to,
0: to ask. Uh, oh, okay. So I'm going to try to, i <laughs> But like I I do, I think it's like it's an exercise of, yeah, you have to you have to process these moments. You have to you know have to grieve the the things that have that you've had to let go of in your life. Um, And I think there's also and a part of it's forgiveness too. Like Mm -hmm. I love self compassion as a practice. I teach every single one of my clients self compassion as a practice. And I think part of self compassion, a huge part of it, is being yeah compassionate with yourself, but being forgiving with yourself. Like. Mm The things when I've hurt people in my life, it was never like nobody, well, few people have the intention of when they say something that it will hurt somebody. They don't, they don't intend that to be the consequence of whatever they've done, especially if it was like a passing comment or a Mm -hmm. social media post. Like we don't, nobody I think intends for their words to be inflammatory. Sometimes they are. And Mm -hmm. I think we just have to like have some forgiveness and yeah, compassion, with ourselves because God, I remember when I got into coaching initially, I said some things that pissed a lot of people off. And mm-hmm. it, I held that over my head for a long time and basically watered down my entire message because of mm-hmm. it. And that didn't do anybody any good. And I found over the last like nine and a half months of being on remote year that I've just kind of been like, I'm in, I'm halfway across the world. Nobody's paying attention to me anyway. I'm just gonna post whatever shit I want to post about my life, <laughs> and what I think about things, and yeah, I probably piss people off and get a ton of you know unfollows, whatever. But I also get a lot of connection out of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, it's worth it to like forgive yourself for the potential of pissing people off and maybe even the potential of hurting someone. Like yeah, learn from it, but don't water yourself down because of it. Sorry, just soapbox a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, I agree. But I also think that, and one of the things that's really helped me um, through all of this, especially because, you know, when I first got off the antidepressants, I was super sensitive. I mean, in every possible way, but emotionally, especially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the littlest thing could just completely send me off. And mm-hmm. what I kind of realized through the work that I was doing is that every time I was triggered, if you will, um, that was it wasn't, you know, the outside world or the person who was doing something to me. It was something in me that needed to be healed. Mm-hmm. So now I'm so aware of every time I have an emotional response to something because to me, that is just a bright flashing sign that says, this is a thing you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, for example, if I get someone who, I had someone, I posted something um, I posted something uh, recently about, basically just my, my work with XPT and how I wanted to use some of these, uh, like my breath work as, you know, an additional tool for people who are dealing with anxiety and um, depression. And I included my own Mm -hmm. story in the post and, you know, this, this woman who I barely know, you know, just interjected and left a long comment about how, you know, her mental health issues, you know, were solved by pills and that, you know, I was effectively doing a disservice by, you know, saying what I was saying and mm-hmm. I feel like she entirely missed the point but
0: mm-hmm. more
1: than that I realized that I was really worried that like the the initial emotional response in me was that people were going to listen to her and totally believe her and therefore not believe me at all and therefore all of my work was going to be completely invalidated and then none mm-hmm. of this mattered so that was a that was an emotional spiral that I was like okay this is just a you know almost stranger on the internet like why is her comment bugging me so much and then mm-hmm. i real- I had to look in there and say, "Okay, the wound here is that i there's two it's that you know i'm I'm afraid that I'm not going to be heard, and that you know I will essentially be screaming into the void, and the second one is that you know um that no matter what all the work i do well it won't matter, and that it will have been wasted time and will wasted life mm-hmm. and so I needed to go back and look at those things within me because all her comment did was just bring up the emotions, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so not only was it, you know, a little bit of a little bit forgiveness, but really just kind of exploration to say like, okay, why am I feeling this way? It's not about her, this is all about me. So, you know, in our society, everyone seems to be triggered all the time by everything because we have so much in our face right now and it's really hard to avoid things that hurt us. Mm-hmm. But I think if we can kind of shift our perspective and say, it's not that, The world is terrible and we're being triggered all the time, as much as the world is kind of just showing you what needs to be healed in you. Because as soon as you heal that, that, as soon as you heal that, the world doesn't have to change, but your reaction is different. And that's so much more powerful because if you can change your reaction, it doesn't matter what happens in the world. So that, I think, is, like, there's so much power in these emotional triggers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard. It's a pain in the ass to have to be <laughs> just like, oh, God damn it. You know, not another one. <laughs> oh, uh, <yeah. laughs> especially when there's traumas involved and you feel like you have truly been wronged by somebody else if there's abuse or whatever it is. But, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard to have that come-to-Jesus moment with yourself and say, like, okay, they, these people wronged me. It is being brought up in the world right now that the Mm -hmm. only way that I get to live my life free and calm and open is if I do the hard work and heal this within myself. It's not yelling back at the other person. It's doing the work yourself that is Actually I almost wish we had a video about. on
0: right now for this conversation because I just had the most hysterical reaction to what you just said. <laughs> it's come up so much and like some of the like YouTube videos I've been watching, yep. and the podcasts I've been listening to is the notion that like the bad things that happen to us in our life are more often than not somebody else's or some situation's fault. It is their mm-hmm. fault that that thing happened, but it is not their responsibility. To make it better for us, it is our responsibility.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you know, it's, it can be it can be something traumatic, and this is this is really hard for people who really experience something very very traumatic at the hands of another right. To, Especially to with what's out. going on in the current political climate. Yes, yes, but it's like ultimately, yes, you can assign fault to the person who wronged mm-hmm. you, but. Mm-hmm that's where things end it is their fault that this happened to you but ultimately you are carrying the emotions from mm-hmm. that situation and from that experience and it is your responsibility to find a path to overcoming them mm-hmm. and that is man that just whole notion of fault versus responsibility has come up so much for me lately that mm-hmm. as soon as you said that I was just like yes <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> but probably also, God, damn it, not again. <laughs> like, oh no, there no me <laughs> like not again. I was just like, God. Uh-oh. I feel like,, well, it's a part of
0: is like, this is, must be the you know, the world trying to tell me the sheer frequency of how often this has come up, come up lately. Yes. I, I feel like the world is trying to tell me that there is some shit in my uh-huh. life that might be somebody yes. else's fault that I need to take responsibility for.
1: So I'm like, all right, I hear you world. <laughs> Right. Well, that's what I mean. Like, eventually it gets to the point where it's just like, oh, universe, I get it. Like, Mm -hmm. I've I've gotten this message enough now. I'm going to deal with my own shit, right? That's Mm -hmm. kind of what I mean by the Not again. Like, someone walks into your life and says something. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, (laughs) oh, shit, I guess it's time. Like, enough with my own excuses.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like I feel like that's a great way to know is I do feel like I'm not super, you know, I'm not a super mystical person. I'm not a super spiritual person, but I do believe that there's like certain things in our life that if they come up over and over and over and over oh, yeah. again, that that's a sign that we need to deal with them.
1: Absolutely. I absolutely. I mean, I just I can't fathom it being any other way and I kind of I can't even really from, from any religious, spiritual, or agnostic perspective, I can't find, I can't come to a conclusion that that doesn't somehow still mean if patterns are coming up in your life, it means you need to deal with the patterns. Mm-hmm. At the very least, so they don't come up anymore, so you can live your life. Like, mm-hmm. if, 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 you know, you think that we're worm food after this, and we get this one life and this one shot, well, great, then I don't want to keep making the same mistake over and over again, because it's a pain in my ass. I Mm -hmm. want to live the best life I can. So I'm going to try and look, find the patterns and fix them. However, however people want to do that. Great. But Mm -hmm. find the patterns.
0: So true. So true. So I feel like, God, we could do like a complete, (laughs) because you only touched on like the, the emotional aspects. I know. I feel like we could do a complete other podcast on like physical empowerment because obviously you got into, you got into CrossFit right as you were getting Mm -hmm. off your, your antidepressants, correct?
1: Um, I actually got into CrossFit. Let's see. I got off my antidepressants when I was 30. I started CrossFit at 27. Oh, okay, cool. 26, 27.
0: So. Okay. so have you found though that, cause I personally find, I mean, there's all this emotional work that we can do, but I really am a huge proponent of the fact that like, I feel like fitness is, it transcends everything. Like I, when I feel physically strong, I feel emotionally and mentally strong. And I feel like when you combine these two things, which very much might be what your XPT certification Mm -hmm. is about, but I feel like when you combine these two things, like that takes your personal power to like another level.
1: Um, Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) but I am reminded uh, a friend of mine, um, she asked me, um, it was right as, it was actually a remote year friend. She didn't end up sticking with the program, but we connected right away. Mm -hmm. And she just kind of looked at me, and she was one of those people who could just kind of cut exactly to the, to your core mm-hmm. and know what know what your biggest issue was right in that moment. But she would ask it in the most, like, doe-eyed, you know, fairy-tale <laughs> Disney princess way that you could yeah. never be mad at her. But she just, one day, she just looks at me and she goes, have you ever thought about why you feel like you need to be so strong physically? <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, god damn it, right? Because I realized... <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, and for me, I had, I had just wanted, I was trying to be as physically strong as I could to compensate for the fact that I felt so emotionally weak. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I love being, you know, a physically strong person. I, I love that, you know, when I'm walking down the street in Mexico city, I had to go get one of those like giant 50 Gallon jugs of water and put it <laughs> oh, on my yeah. shoulder and walk ten blocks to you know bring it home so I could drink some clean water. Um, I love that I could do it, and I'm you know looking around and all these all these men in my auto part neighborhood are just like, Can I help like what are you <laughs> doing? you're a woman, you shouldn't be carrying that. I love that I can say no and that I can do it myself and be fully mm-hmm. fully fully capable, however, I'm at a point now where I don't feel like I need to get stronger just for the sake of being physically stronger in order to kind of feel like I'm accomplishing something because Mm -hmm. I have gotten so much stronger, um, within. So Mm -hmm. for me, I think there's a balance and I, I I might argue that there is a tipping point for some people, Mm -hmm. but I think that there is certainly a wide range of physical bodies and physical abilities, you know, kind of wherever, wherever you are that, you know, once you kind of harness some of the physical power and you realize the true potential of what your body can do, and not what your mind thinks it can do, that ultimately trans, you know, translates into your entire life. Because mm-hmm. suddenly, again, your thoughts that say you can't do this or anxious thoughts or the tapes that play in your head, you start to realize are just thoughts because you've had physical proof in the gym that you know you didn't think you could do fifty push-ups and then you did. Mm-hmm. So I find that part really important as a. As a big stepping stone for people to just start stepping into their power a little bit is to realize what their body is truly keeping. Mm-hmm. I
0: totally agree. And I also think like the fact that I think the fact that your friend asked you like why why do you feel the need to do this? My coach asked me something similar early this year um, when I was, you know, trying to get in better shape. And she asked me, you know, why like what's what's ultimately the the physical, physically capable goal you're you're shooting for. And mm-hmm. I told her, I rattled off all of these things that I wanted to be able to do. And I think like a month later, she, we were talking about, you know, what I'd done that, that past weekend, you know, as like a remote, year track event or something mm-hmm. like that. And she kind of started laughing and I was just like, what are you laughing at me for? Like, this was so cool. Like, what's funny about this? And she's like, Ellen, do you realize you literally just listed off a whole bunch of the things that were on your, this is what I want to be physically capable of doing list. Mm -hmm. And she reiterated them back to me. And I was like, Oh my God, you're right. Like there are definitely some things on my list that I'm still not physically capable of yet, but I scratched off a lot of them this year. And it made me Mm -hmm. realize that, you know, this whole, I'm shooting for this, you know, like seemingly unattainable thing in my future of, of being physically capable of doing X, Y, Z. And I was already there. Mm -hmm. I just needed to like, i needed to see that in myself it's like it's that, that question of identity almost again like i mm-hmm. needed to identify that and associate that with myself and i feel like having that you know it's really i feel like all of this from the emotional perspective knowing your emotional triggers and knowing you know from a, a physical sense what kind of physical capability you want and why you want it i really it's it just i feel like it all comes down to knowing yourself on some level
1: mm-hmm. and it's understanding what your priorities are too like yeah and, and, and really being honest with your priorities, right? Because if you ask most people on the street, they'll say, oh, I want to lose weight and be in better shape. And then you ask them what they're doing about it. And it turns out it's just not a priority. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that, it's not necessarily that, that that's bad, but it's just yeah. kind of like, why, why are you kidding yourself? If you're not making it to yoga five times a week, it's because it's not a priority. If it was a true, true priority in your life, you would be there. Mm-hmm. So to kick yourself because it's not happening. Well, like, what is your priority? Is it spending mm-hmm. time with your kids? Mm-hmm. And that's because that's why you're not going to yoga five times a week, well, maybe that is that should be the priority if it's sitting on the couch and watching you know crime shows mm-hmm. then I don't know maybe we need to readjust what our what our definition of priority is, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is that you you are putting those crime shows as a priority over going to yoga, so it's just yeah, like it kind of drives me nuts when people just are not like truly honest about your priorities, and they say all these things they want to do. It's kind mm-hmm. of like no, it's just cut the crap. If it's yeah. if it's a priority, you're gonna do it. If it's mm-hmm. not, you're not. You, you know, make the decision one way or the other, but don't waste time in this middle in this mm-hmm. middle space. I used to I
0: read something at one point in time that said like the the notion of I don't have time is like the adult version of my dog ate my homework. Exactly, and yeah. it's like you just need to change. I like replace, I don't have time with, it's not a priority. And if that doesn't make you feel good, then Mm -hmm. there you go. That, that tells you your answer. If saying it's not a priority for me to take care of my health or it's not a priority for me to, I don't know, do a weekly date night with my significant other or to spend time with my children, Mm -hmm. like sounds harsh, but if that doesn't sit well with you, that tells you a lot. Right there.
1: Yeah, and like if if it does sit well with you, then you got to own up to the consequences because there yeah. are consequences for all decisions, including our good ones. Yes. Two. Mike, drop.
0: I feel like <laughs> we have we have run the gamut of, of topics today. Oh. And
1: like oh man, and we didn't talk about entrepreneurship at all. <laughs> no. We'll just we'll dart, We'll just have to do another podcast episode. Okay, (laughs) I'm good with that.
0: Yeah, but so I yeah I definitely think we could probably wrap this one up. I think you guys definitely will be hearing from Brooke Brooke again. Um, But before we wrap this up, I like to end with two questions that I ask all of my guests. Uh, Yes, that came out weird. Uh, (laughs) The first question uh, is if you had to recommend you know one book, TED Talk. know, online program, whatever that you've read over or been exposed to over the course of your, you know, journey, um, what would that book be that you would recommend to people?
1: It would probably be the power of now by Eckhart Tolle.
0: I love that book.
1: I haven't read that in a while. You know, it's one of those books that I it's probably the book I most frequently will just go back to and kind of open a page and just read wherever it is because I find it constantly reminds me of whatever I need to be reminded of at Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was the book I read and I finally kind of got, I just finally got it that I could not, that I was not my thoughts. Mm -hmm. The way he just explained it as, you know, if you say the phrase, I hate myself, that implies that there's two of you Mm -hmm. because there's the I and there's the myself and there is not two of you there's only the one and I was that just was this magic light bulb moment for me and um, then the rest of the book kind of goes into that and explains a little bit of how to start dissociating from that thought process and how to break some of your own mental patterns which can feel super overwhelming when you first start doing it Mm -hmm. so that is my most recommended piece of written work on this subject (laughs) Sure. I definitely
0: need to read, reread that book now. Just hearing you explain it, I'm like, "Yep, yeah, I, I, yeah, I need to do that again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so then the other question and the last question I have for you is where can people find you if they want to follow your travels, if they want to learn more about you as an XPT
1: certified coach, where can they find you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, um, I'm most active on Instagram as far as social media. So that's just my, you know, at Brooke scene. And um, I'm terrible at Twitter, so you can follow me there, but you know, maybe you'll get <laughs> maybe you'll get something once every six months. Um, <laughs> I am on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, my website brookseam. has a lot of information. It, it desperately needs to be updated right now with all of my XBT stuff because um, i'm I haven't actually gotten that all updated yet, partially because I'm, I'm starting. I'm going to start a totally new company so I don't necessarily want it like directly integrated with my website Mm -hmm. uh so that'll all be um coming soon and so I mean nobody wants any more emails but if you decide you do I send a very infrequent newsletter which will just have like hey this is the name of my new company and here's how you can get (laughs) fine it's probably the only thing I'll send you um so those are those are the two things uh Yeah, I don't know. I I like, you know, this is a little weird, but when people email me and tell me me their stories, I actually really like that. So people can always just email me too. And, you know, it just kind of helps me realize that there are still people who Mm -hmm. are kind of fighting the same fight I am and who Mm -hmm. want to connect with other light-minded people. So, you know. I just kind of always like hearing from people personally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Instagram messages, whatever. Yeah, I was just
0: thinking I love getting Instagram DMs from people mm-hmm. who when it's something I said or something that resonated with them or they wanted to share something with me. Like, yeah, finding those messages yeah. is always so nice.
1: Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I've met a lot of people lately who have, you know, kind of quite frankly changed my life and we've worked together and things Mm -hmm. just from simple Instagram messages. So it does work. However, Mm -hmm. if you're one of those people who is going to message me and tell me to send them pictures of my feet, I do not appreciate it. And I feel the need to say that because it's happening a little too frequently. I people. want to ask about that. But yeah. You should just know nope. for after the podcast. <laughs> you know, I, I can't explain it either, but apparently it's a thing. And, you know, I just kind of feel the need to say, please don't do that. It's oh my gosh. That is, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Well, I'm sorry that happened. And listeners, no fee pictures, <laughs> please. No fee pictures. Yep. No requests. <laughs> don't send me yours either. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, with that. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much. You're for welcome. on, And yes, everybody, you will be hearing again from Brooke very soon. I feel. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, please share it with your friends so that they can join the tribe as well. Or better yet, share it on Instagram stories so that I can shout you out and send you a huge thank you. Your support means the world to me. And of course, I want to thank you
1: for being a part of the Growth Tribe.